Radio. This is your host, Trevor Kritzen. As always, my co-host, Steve Smee, is joining me. Hey, guys. We have some technical difficulties on my end. Don't buy shit from Best Buy. Um, <laughs> we are hooked up to two, three of us. We have another great guest. Trevor, please introduce this guy. Well, if we ever wanted to get Best Buy to sponsor this podcast, you pretty much just... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a really special guest for me because this is actually my first ever bodybuilding coach. So joining us today is IFBB Pro, Ron Parlow. What's going on, guys? It's good to be on the show, Trevor. Thank you. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good to meet you, Steve. Yeah, it's good to meet you. So you are a Canadian, is that correct? Yeah, you bet. Alberta, you know, farm kid, all the nonsense, all the Canadian jokes, you know, chopping wood, farming, all that stuff. Okay, you're you're from Western Canada. We have a lot of uh, bodybuilders that have come on our podcast from Canada. It seems to be popular up there. Um, Is that a trend that you've been seeing, or is that something just that's a fluke? That you know, I don't know. I I think Canada's Canada's produced a lot of good bodybuilders. Um, I think you know we got those brutal cold winters half the year, so there's nothing else to do but train and you know, good hard work ethic and, you know, just kind of sprouts out. But for our population, we've, you know, considering we're one tenth the size of the States, we've, you know, we've had some really good bodybuilders come out of here. So yeah, it's good competition up here at, you know, competing at nationals and stuff to win pro cards up here was always pretty tough. So. So first thing I want to delve into Ron is you got second eight years at nationals. I mean, that's gotta be a record. Like where, where did you have the fire to keep going? Cause I mean, uh, like, part of the reason you're such a role model to me is cause like any, like anyone can get second once or twice or three times but to get that eight times and to just not give up and keep going. Well, I don't, you know, I've had that question asked me so many times. I think I've probably answered it 10 different times but, or 10 different ways. I mean, but, uh, I, I think really it's just that I, I've always been the type of person that does what I want to do. You know, I've never, I've never worked a job. I didn't want to work. I've never taken a client. I didn't want to take. I've just, I've just, I'm not really the type of person that can do stuff. I don't like to do. Um, so if I like to do something and I want to do something, it just, I just keep doing it. And, you know, I, I always love training and I still love training that way. So I think it was just a love of training mainly. And, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, I got second, like, I think it was five or six, five or six times, five times. And then I actually won the super heavyweights. So then that like vindicates you in your belief that you can win. And then I didn't quite get the card that year. That was 07. But you know, that sort of like almost recharges your batteries to keep going some more. So then I had another, you know, X number of years left in me and got a few more seconds there and then finally turned pro. So, um, yeah, man, I just, I guess I just wasn't ready to be done yet. You know, so how did you and Trevor meet up originally? He was from uh, your town or did you guys work out together? Yeah, I would have, I would have met him at the gym. Would it, was it hardcore gym at the time, Trevor? Yeah, it was still called hardcore. It was still called hardcore. Yeah, it was the old hardcore gym in Edmonton. That's where I would have met him. And uh, 
yeah, it was just this like, you know, Trevor was a skinny kid, came in there and was training super hard and seemed really eager to put size on. And, and like, there was no lack of effort at all. The, you know, the, the, the work ethic and the effort he put in was extremely high. So all the, all like, you know, all the big guys noticed and like, man, that kid works really hard, you know? And, uh, I mean, what year was that Trevor that I helped you? That must've been like, I don't know, like 2010 or something, wasn't it? I was 18. So yeah, 2010. I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing I learned from Ron was simplicity. You know, I was, I was just an 18 year old kid there and I was reading the bodybuilding magazines. This was, this is when the bodybuilding magazines are so prevalent. And, you know, I'd, I'd see Jay Cutler's leg workout and it'd be like squats, hack squats, leg press, walking lunges, leg extensions, lying hamstring curls, seated hamstring curls, standing cap raise, single leg cap raise, seated cap. And I would do it all, right? Because that's what I saw in the magazine. And Ron was like, dude, you got to get your head out of your ass. You can't be working for, oh, for four hours and expect to be putting on muscle. Yeah, that was something. I, well, yeah, there it goes out. That's the work ethic, though, like a overachiever syndrome, which, um, you know, probably explains your continuing to you know, educate yourself with, you know, what are you doing a master's degree now? Human so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like you're obviously the type of person that, you know, is willing to overwork. Um, so that, that can sometimes be, you know, a hindrance. Right. And, um, I, I actually have to do that with a lot of clients. I have to actually kind of dial them back because I think I attract overachievers that have, the will to work really hard. So sometimes they come to me and it's, it's gotten out of hand and I look at their workouts. It's like 30 sets of quads and you know, all this sort of stuff twice a week, you know, 30 sets of quads twice a week, that type of stuff. And, um, so I'll be like, okay, let's just like hit the reset button a little bit. Let's just go back to some super basic workouts, see how your body responds, start from there. And then you can start like, you know, expanding into these kind of, you know, I mean, I would call that extremely high volume. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of a, I think maybe where Trevor was at the time, you know? So you think overtraining is a problem, even among young guys that they're training too much volume and they're actually well, it's I, counterproductive. I, well, I don't want to say it's a problem. Like, I don't think it's an epidemic. I think people that do like the extreme overtraining are probably very rare. Um, most people can't even over, can't overtrain cause they don't train hard enough to overtrain. Um, they can do all the volume in the world and it's not intense enough to, you know, be the problem. But where you get the odd person who is training really hard and doing way too much. And then that's when you, you know, you run into problems. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, I know some people like to kind of do the cool thing and say, Oh, there's no such thing as overtraining. There's only under eating, under sleeping. Right. I mean, you know, there's been several different periods through bodybuilding history where that phrase was used. Um, but we know that that's not true. You know, I mean, obviously you can think of an extreme situation where yes, you know, that would be too much. So, um, you have to admit it exists. And, uh, sometimes you just got to hit the reset button and do some old school Dorian training for a couple of months and, you know, almost get like under trained to a point. <laughs> so, so what, what would you advise? Cause you started mentoring Trevor at 18. A lot of our listeners are in the 16 to 40 age group. So we do have a lot of young listeners. Maybe right. they're new to weight training. They're late teens, 20s. What's your advice to them when they first start 
should they start with like a five by five program to get started for a few years? Should they get into like a three, four, five day split routine? What is something that they can do to first start? Because it's so much easier to get yourself on a program and be consistent than just do what I see a lot of young guys doing in the gym, which is just like they're lost. They don't know what they're doing. They'll do bicep curls for one set, then they'll go do a squat, and then they'll go to uh, calf, and then they'll go do something. And it's just like there's no organization to what they're doing. Yeah, they're almost following the girls around. Um, (laughs) You know, I I know what you mean. I I honestly think, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say, a lot of answers to that question, as far as what are kind of the, the great pieces of advice for younger guys. But I think one of the main things is you have to get stronger on your big lifts. Like, you know, if you're 16, 17, 18, that is prime time to be learning how to properly squat and deadlift and get strong on those lifts and, and properly bench and get strong on those lifts. Um, not to be a power lifter or for any of those reasons, but I think being strong and moving significant poundage on, you know, big basic movements sets the foundation for the house that you're going to build later. And that's, that's, you know, prime time to do it is when you're in that age group and your body's exploding anyways. You know, I mean, I put on a hundred pounds in high school and it was cause I trained like fucking maniac and ate everything. And just was like, I knew that it was my window. Cause I had these older guys at the gym that were like, you have to go hard. Now if you go hard now in high school, you'll be huge when you're older. And I remember I was like, okay, fuck. And I knew it mattered, you know? And, um, I just ate everything and lifted it hard and heavy. And I had some good people around me that showed me how to start. So I, you know, would be my advice. Talk just a bit of the Yeah. I think that's really advice as, as well, because that's how I started to a compound lifts. I think it built a base when I was younger. And now as I'm older, you know, it's really paid off. The muscle memory is really there and it can, you can ride that, you know, into your thirties and forties for sure. How old are you now, Ron? Uh, 42, I'll be 43 next month. So, you know, almost 30 years in the gym. How's your body feel at your age? Have you noticed a difference in the past five years? Cause I sure have. Yeah. <laughs> I, my body starts falling apart in my mid thirties and it's, it's been falling apart. Yeah. Bad. Now, I yeah. see why guys retire in their, in their mid thirties from sports. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, uh, I had a lot of injuries the last five years. Um, a lot of them were, I was able to train through and all that. I mean, the year I turned pro, I had like a whole bunch of injuries, but I managed to get to stage, you know, and, uh, and pull it off. But I mean, I knew I was getting near the end training as hard as I was training. The funny thing is, is now that I don't have the pressure of a show because I'm not competing anymore, my body's like healed up in so many ways because you know, when there's a show looming, if you got a little, you know, your shoulder's a little sore, but you got a show coming, it's like you don't back off. You feel like you can't back off. I've always felt that way, you know, like I can't give anything to these guys because they're probably more talented than me. Um, but when you're retired from competing, you know, if your shoulder hurts a bit, you can like have a week where you train light and you don't get smaller. And you just, you just like set to 20 on everything. You, no one notices. You look exactly the same. Then the following week, you're like, oh, my shoulder feels better. And I just wish I would have known how, you know, like how, um, I, maybe I would have done that when I was younger, you know, but you're just so anxious to go hard and you don't want to give up anything to anybody. 
And, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of injuries near the end there, but I feel great now. You know, I do, I feel great. Juan, talk to us a little bit about diet. Same younger guys you're recommending to lift in some heavy weight. For diet, it seems like no one wants to lose their abs. Yeah, that's something. I think that that's a fundamental reason why we're not seeing a whole bunch of awesome young super heavyweights anymore. Um, I, I think the super heavyweight class is suffering. Um, and I think a big part of it is, a, is a, a combination of a lot of different people that don't want to eat the food it takes to get really, really huge, uh, anymore. And that's, I mean, to me, it's like too bad. Um, but I mean, the last several shows I've gone to, man, the super heavyweight class has been a lot smaller, not as deep, not as many good guys, not as much muscle on stage. Um, I think that maybe a lot of the guys with the great shape, um, are men there. Maybe they're just barely getting into the super heavyweight class, but they've got great shape. They're just coming down a few pounds and staying and, and doing classic. They're not actually being super heavyweights. So that's a problem. We're losing them to that. And then I think the young guys aren't eating enough food because they want to, they're looking at Instagram and they're seeing everyone's beat shots and everyone's ab shots. And, uh, I mean, I was just a fucking food machine in high school. Like the, the, the idea of not eating dessert at a restaurant would never have even crossed my mind. No, the idea, the idea of not eating a whole pizza twice a week. I mean, you're in high school, you're a big football playing weightlifting high school kid. Like fucking eat, man. I eat Wendy's three times a week and I, and my, I lived on a farm. So I, I mean, my mom cooked steak every night and potatoes and I had whole eggs and waffles for breakfast. And I mean, I just knew that like, you know, I had to eat to fuel my body. The concept of dieting in high school was just ludicrous. And, you know, I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder and there's no way I would have under eaten on purpose, you know, but there you go. It's a hundred pounds in high school. So that should tell you something. You've been in this sport a long time, Ron. What are your thoughts on the new divisions? Because it is exactly like you said. It seems like no one wants to bodybuild anymore. Everyone wants to do physique. Yeah, so I like the classic division. I, I like. I like it. I understand it. I think it, it's it's a it's, there's a few problems with it, but it's been a good idea. Um, the only thing that bother me is um, I think too many guys because they just look at their weight. Like they just look at their body weight and they're like, Oh, I'm classic. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be the reason Like you should, you know, you, maybe there's a kid who his, his goal is to be really huge, but because he's, you know, 178 right now, he's like, Oh, I fit in the classic. It's like, why don't you just keep, why don't you just do the bodybuilding division and just stay as a bodybuilder. And like next year you'll be too heavy anyways. And, but I don't know, it's like, it's holding some guys back because they want to stay in classic. And they're afraid to like leave classic. Um, so it, it's sort of drawn a lot of people away from bodybuilding, but that might slingshot back. Um, I mean, trends come and go. I've seen it before, you know, with other things. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of men's physique just because it, you know, it's not really my thing. I'm kind of old school. I don't get the shorts. The shorts are a problem for me. Um, it's like cool if you want to get in awesome shape and those guys like nuts. I mean, those top men's physique guys, like they just got, their bodies are just insane, you know? Um, but that was never why I lifted. And, um, I'm like sort of the type of guy that's like, I'm an extremist. So if you're going to do it, I want to see how striated your glutes are. 
want to see how big your quads are. Like, let's see everything, you know? So it's just not really my thing, but I support the guys and I've helped a few guys get ready for physique shows and, you know, they got in really good shape and looked great. Um, you know, bikini, I mean, that's half the revenue right there. So <laughs> that's a no brainer, you know, um, the women's physique, I almost think maybe they should put a weight limit on it like classic because I don't want it to turn into women's bodybuilding again. Cause that was the whole point, you know, but that's how I kind of see the new divisions. I actually really like that idea of having a weight limit for women's physique because each year they're getting slightly more muscular and it's yeah. bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. it's and then it's more consistent, you know, almost like I had a dog growing up and it wasn't allowed in a room. And then what it would do is it would put one paw in and see if it could get away with, and it would put two paws <laughs> in and it was kind of like pushing the boundaries to see. And that's yeah, yeah. women's physique. You know, they're getting a little bit harder, a little bit drier, a little bit like, how much can we get away with? And then eventually yeah. the again. Yeah. We'll just have to rename a new division. So since we've, uh, since we last spoke, you bought a gym. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty nice. Tell us about that. And then I want to know, yeah. what are some of the craziest stories? Like you gotta be gotten getting like old guys using the blow dryer to drill <laughs> nuts. What's, what's going on? Well, yeah. So, um, basically there was a gym out here that I was training at for the last three years. Um, well, the first three years I, I lived here and, uh, it was the, the gym that I would always train at when I would come to see mutant. And, um, it was a pretty hardcore gym, kind of old school equipment, you know, metal plates and stuff. And, um, had that, you know, had that private gym feel, you know, nothing corporate about it. And, uh, he was pretty supportive of the bodybuilders. So it was a good place to train. And then one day last year, he just suddenly passed away. And, um, you know, the family came in and kind of, you know, dealt with the closing of the gym and all that stuff. And, um, the gyms just sat there closed for a couple months. And, uh, me and a couple of my, my, uh, associates were kind of looking to the shit. We should get that space. So we just, we just went for it. I always wanted to own a gym. They always wanted to own a gym. So we just uh, leased the space and, you know, threw out all the junk and got some more equipment in there and fixed up the room and renoed it and painted it and started it under a new name, completely new gym. Started with zero members. And, uh, I mean, the gym's smoking now it's called West coast iron and it's out here in Port Coquitlam, just outside of Vancouver. And it's, uh, it's really become the gym out here, man. Like everyone comes to train there people drive from an hour away on weekends to come and train. And you know, it's, uh, it's been going really good. So if you guys want to check it out on Instagram. It's West coast iron. How far is it from the border? Uh, like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So someone lives like across the border, they could cross the border, go to the gym. How does that work? Yeah. Uh, would it take a long time to get through the border or? No, nah, border's fast. Yeah, I'm, right like time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of people come up from Washington to train. We get it all the time. Is that a problem crossing the border? Like, don't they ask you, Hey, where you're going and stuff like that? Or yeah. Well, people just say, I'm just going up to work out, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. You just drive through it. The border's really easy to cross. You know, they don't, they don't pull that many people. I mean, you might get pulled and searched and stuff, but it doesn't take that long. Yeah. Um, just don't take your steroids with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Be smart. 
but I, I have a, I have a, I have a Nexus card, so I get to cross in like the, the speed line, you know, the kind of security check line. So I don't really have to, I don't, I just walk right past everyone at the airport. I walk right past everyone at the border, drive right past everyone. That Nexus card is really good. Cause I travel to the States so often. How, what is the Nexus card? What is that? Yeah. It's just like, a, a an, it's an American, uh, piece of ID that, you know, certifies you as kind of pre-checked at the border. Oh, okay. How often yeah. do the U.S. drawn? Uh, you know, like 10 times a year. Do you, do you get any um, slack from customs officials? Like, oh, you're a big guy, you must have steroids or anything like that? No, they're, of, of all the times I've been to the States, which is probably in my lifetime, like, geez, maybe like, I'd be under 100 times, but man, I've been to the States a lot. I've only had one time where a U.S. border guy gave me a hard time and actually pulled me and searched me and held me till my plane, till I missed my plane and then let me go. Um, that only happened once. Um, they're always really good. The American guys are great. I get no grief from them whatsoever. Um, it's used to be the Canadian guys returning home. That's where I would get all the grief, especially at the Vancouver airport and the Toronto airport. A um, lot of grief at those airports for a long time. But then I got my Nexus card and things started improving and I, di I didn't get pulled as often. And, uh, and then finally they just stopped pulling me altogether. So I don't have any problems anymore. How, how'd you get Great. That? So our, I was going to say our American listeners should definitely um, cross the border and, uh, you know, check out your gym. What, what is the uh, gym memberships looking like at your gym? How big is your gym? Is it kind oh, of like uh, a, size of a franchise gym or is it a little, uh, no, it's like a little, um, go ahead. It's an old school warehouse. So we got the big bay doors on it. We crank those open, you know, eight months of the year, nine months of the year, we have the bay doors up and we're, it's a uh, 14,000 square feet. We're, you know, we're playing ACDC and gangster rap and hip hop and Metallica and new, new metal. And, you know, we, we turn the music up and it's a place to work out. So it's not a, it's not a health club. It's not a fitness center. Um, it's a, it's a gym, you know, nice and proper. So, uh, people come in are like, holy shit, I've never been to anything like this before. Cause there's not many of them around anymore. Like you have to travel to find them. And, um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, do you have a lunk, a lunk alarm that you push? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> grunt, grunting is allowed. A certain amount of grunting is allowed, obviously. So yeah, it's definitely not a library in there. So. Tell us oh, about the economics of owning a gym, Ron. Is it, is it profitable like right away or will, if someone wants to start their own gym, well, what's the realistic amount of time to turn a profit when you're starting a gym? Well, we, 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 we were pretty confident that we were going to be okay because um, myself and my partners, um, they own a bunch of supplement stores. So they already had a real grounding in the community. You know, they have all these loyal people that shop at their stores all over the place down here. Um, in this area. So we knew that they'd be drawn upon a lot of people. They're also, uh, you know, a couple of them are, are really popular uh, bodybuilders from this area. So they know everyone. And then, you know, myself, I know everyone. And, and we just thought, you know, I'm sure we can fill this room pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, it really only took us a few months before the gym was kind of paying for itself and um, memberships just keep climbing. And now we're you know, and now we're doing upgrades to the room. You know, we've got a big juice rental, juice bar rental coming and new, you know, we've got some more new equipment we're going to do. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been good, but the, us knowing, you know, thousands and thousands of people is the reason if you were just starting a gym, like, 
you know, if you just moved into town and opened a gym, I mean, that, that would be pretty tough, man. You, you got to give people a reason to want to come down and see you. And, um, you know, gyms like this are, they're about the people that own them and run them and work there. You know, they're not corporate gyms. So, you know, you got to have like a personal connection to all the members and people need to know that they can come in and talk to the owner and the manager. And, you know, uh, it's the, you know, know your, know your name at the front desk type of place, you know, everyone, everyone's, uh, every single member is important for a reason. So, um, that's what you got to sell if you're going to do a private gym, you know? What, what about the upkeep? Like both financial and time, are you pretty much like living there with everything? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm there a lot. Um, I, I live really close to the gym. I'm only like six minutes away. So it's super, and it's two blocks from where I work at mutant. So it's like super easy for me to go to the gym and check in on it and see how it's doing. You know, it's, it's not like I have to commute to work. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of time. I mean, each one of us spends time there. Uh, my, my, my partners, they tend to go in the morning, they work out in the morning and, you know, kind of do office stuff and get that done in the morning. I'm, I, I come in at five o'clock after work. So I'm always there doing rush, you know, I tinker around and fix equipment and, you know, you know, just all this stuff you got to do. Gyms are high maintenance. They do not run themselves. Something's always breaking. Something's always loose. Something's always got to be moved. Uh, something's always got to be cleaned. You know, and if it, you, uh, owning a gym is not glamorous. Uh, if you're a gym owner, you're going to be, there's going to be a plug toilet and you're the only one there. Like, oh, fuck, I guess I'm doing a plug toilet. You know, that's just how it works, man. You got to be willing. But you know what? I think our members see us working. They see us fixing stuff. They see us cleaning. They see us moving treadmills and shit. And, you know, and, and they're like, they, I think the, like the members appreciate it. Talk to us a bit about Mutant. Most of our listeners, they'll recognize, you know, from some of the Mutant videos, Mutant on a Mission, things like that. How long have you been with Mutant? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mutant's been, uh, man, they've been a really great thing that happened to me. Um, 2011, I was actually injured and uh, I didn't compete that year. And um, so I wasn't sure, you know, my status. And I had been with Muscle Tech, but they'd released everyone because they had this big problem. So they, big lawsuit on their hands. So they released like all their amateur athletes. So I was without a sponsor and, um, you know, I, I started talking to mutant and they offered me a, a sponsorship and, and I'm, I was like pretty excited cause I didn't even know if I was going to compete again at the time. So I started working with mutant and, uh, it just, just kept growing. You know, they were big into video. Um, they were kind of doing the YouTube thing because it, you know, it was cheap and effective and, um, you know, I kind of fit right in with that. And next thing you know, I had a microphone in my hand and I was kind of hosting the shows and it just kind of grew. And then in uh, 2014, they asked me, they said, Hey, you know, why don't you move out here? And, uh, you know, cause I'm from Edmonton where Trevor and I used to, to know each other. Um, so I, they said, why don't you move out here and work in the marketing department? You know? So I, I thought, you know, it'd be awesome opportunity. I get to travel the world, go to all the expos, you know, be in tons of video content and, and all that stuff. So, so we, uh, my girlfriend and I packed up and moved here in 2015 and I've been working for mutant the whole time. So it's been a real adventure. You know, I've, I've been, I've been all over the world, all over the world with them. So it's been great. Talk just a little bit about working those expos. Cause I know firsthand someone who has worked them, they are absolutely exhausting. Yeah, man. Um, you know, you're, you're shaking hands and, and making small talk with, you know, I guess, you know, a couple thousand people at a busy expo. 
And, um, you know, it's, it, it's the type of thing where, you know, you're, you're, you're just working away, working away, working away. And then when you get home from those expos, you're like, I'm fucked for like a, a whole day. I just want to sleep, not talk to anybody, keep the lights off. <laughs> it's like one of those things you got to recharge, you know? So three day one, I find like the Friday is like awesome. You're like, you're so excited to see everyone. The Saturday is like good. And then by Sunday you're just drained. Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And then you got FIBO's a uh, FIBO in Germany is a four day expo. So that's a really, that's a really long haul. A tip for our listeners. If you ever go to a big expo, like the Olympia or the Arnold go on the last day, an hour before it closes. All yeah. The, get all, all the, the free shit. They don't, they don't want to pack up all their stuff because everyone's exhausted. So if you go, they'll either sell it to you dirt cheap or just give it to you for free. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, you know, three for ones or whatever you want, but yeah, go, go late on the last day. So speak, speaking of expos, tell us a little bit wrong about the industry as a whole, the supplement industry, even like your gym, bodybuilding, pro bodybuilding, all this stuff. What direction has bodybuilding been trending the past few years? Do you think it's trending in a good direction, bad direction? What are the pros and minuses that you've seen? in the past few years and how can things get trended in the, in the right direction in the future? You think? Well, I, uh, I mean, the supplement industry is very interesting right now because there's so many brands, like there's never been this many brands before. Everyone's got a brand, you know, every single, you know, kind of celebrity in the fitness world has their own brand. It's third party manufactured stuff. Um, you know, usually made by one of the, you know, five big manufacturers, you know, they, they, they're just putting a label on their own formula, uh, direct shipping, you know, small companies on Amazon. Um, there's more brands than ever. Like anyone can start a supplement company. It's not that hard. Um, you just get someone to make labels, get someone to manufacture and bottle your product, get someone to ship it. That's it. You can do direct off your website. You can do Amazon. There's all these different avenues, but anyone can start a supplement company. So it's uh, very, very competitive right now. And companies like, you know, I work for mutant. Uh, we manufacture all our own stuff. Like we're in house. We have our own, our own factory that makes everything inside. We label our stuff. We do everything. So that's pretty rare. Um, so, you know, we really try to use that as a selling point. Like, Hey, we actually make our stuff, you know, we know exactly what's going on. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, uh, something we're proud of, but it's very competitive. Um, you know, internationally, all those same brands are all international now. So there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of marketing that has to be done to make sure your brand Where, stays in people's minds. Where's meeting base? Is it, um, right here in Vancouver. Yeah. Port Coquitlam, BC. Okay. And are, are the laws in Canada, different in the u.s when it comes to supplements in terms of like fda because you, you canada has their own fda right and the US uh, has their own FDA. yeah yeah we have Is our own right? version yeah we have our own version we got health canada so um but yeah there there actually are stricter regulations on canadian supplement manufacturers um there's uh there there is a difference um so that's one thing that canadian companies have going for them is you know we get to say that, you know, um, there, there is a stricter kind of regulation on our, you know, they come and they check our factories, you know, they come and they, you know, we have to get batches checked and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, it's definitely, um, 
you know, a little more rigorous. I, I know one of the complaints about the U S market is that it's a bit of the wild west, you know, <laughs> Ron, actually the only company, the only country with stricter laws when it comes to dietary supplements is Australia. Canada, yeah. Second strictest supplement and custom regulations of the entire world. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Australia is tough, you know, Oh, Australia is freaking brutal, man. It's like, I mean, it's funny. We, we, we couldn't even get all of our products into Australia because they were like, they were good enough for our, we're the second best. We're good enough for ours. And then there's just still that much stricter. We, we had a few products we couldn't get in there for a while. There's actually, um, there's a huge, what do you guys both think as the reason Australia, you know, so bad when it comes to this, I don't, I don't get it because they have, there's gotta be a reason. Steve, a lot of their supplements are um, sold by pharmaceutical companies, and that's why they make the supplement industry. Very oh, okay. That yeah, because right, because I think the tougher they make it, the the um, the more it makes it so that only the companies with with a lot of money can operate in those within those boundaries. So the pharmaceutical companies wind up being the only ones that can afford to kind of do the business. If that's what Trevor's point is. It also supports well, I mean, if that was the case, I would think the U.S. would be way worse because the U.S. the pharmaceutical U.S. has more pharmaceutical companies than any country by far, more than all the other countries combined. So our pharmaceutical company runs the government. I mean, they have lobbyists in Washington and everything. So if that was the case, I would think that we'd have a worse situation in the U.S. But you're well, saying that we have loose regulations in the U.S. You just happen to have loose regulations on supplements. It doesn't mean it's not coming. doesn't mean someone's not going to change it. <laughs> doesn't mean there's not some money to be made there. You know, I'm not yeah. quite sure. I of think, the, I think but I think the reason for that is because um, one of the more powerful senators in the United States is from Utah. And Utah's number one industry is supplements. So that would probably explain why that hasn't happened in the U.S. But if, you know, if Utah did not sell so many supplements, didn't have so many supplement um, companies, they would have probably changed the laws just like Australia. So, yeah, that, I, that probably I, I know that one other factor, um, one other factor was like anabolic steroids used to be super easy to get in Australia, like really, really easy. Like it wasn't a problem at all. Um, there was almost no regulation about them for a while. And, and then supplement companies was very wild West-ish, but the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, that changed everything because Australia didn't want to look bad and they clamped down and cranked down on everything, like as hard as they possibly could. And it was like a total 360. And all of a sudden, you know, guys were getting 10 year prison sentences for, you know, steroid possessions. And then companies that were making supplements were getting shut down. And I know it got way worse at that point because they were trying to put on like a really, you know, strong front for the Olympics. And it, it sort of altered like the whole bodybuilding underworld got altered for the 2000 Sydney Olympics in Australia. And then, and then for us, when Ben Johnson beat the golden boy American back in our Olympics, what was it, the 88 Olympics? Yes, that's yeah, when they started yeah. Clamping, yeah, that's when they started clamping down in the United States. So we can thank the Olympics for all these steroid <laughs> laws, ironically. Yeah, the yeah. Sure. Olympics, which, um, you know, is like they have like curling as a sport. So 
I'm sure people yes. who do curling uh, are on steroids. Yes. So that's, that's the thing is people go to their politicians saying they want better health care. They want more jobs. They want equal rights. What we really want is just more Olympic gold medals. Yes. That makes everyone happy. We know this. It's proven. <laughs> it's, emb- it's embarrassing to post the Olympics and then like, you know, have your own country not do well. You can, it's kind of like Russia, like half their athletes got banned for steroids, you know, in the past <laughs> Olympics. That's embarrassing, you know? They all, it's like an obsession over there. Yeah, that whole Russia thing was crazy. Did you guys see that movie, um, uh, Icarus? I heard about it. What is yeah, it? it's awesome. It's a Netflix documentary. It's just the craziest story. But it, it, it has to do with the Russian dope, doping scandal. And um, basically, this, this documentary guy, he, he has an idea. He wants to do a major like cycling race. It's not the Tour de France. It's like a... I can't remember which one it is, like an amateur one. But he, he races it, and then he wants to do it the following year, but follow like Lance Armstrong's doping product protocol and see the difference. He wants to document it. So that's his initial idea, is to do this cycling race twice and document it and you know show the story. But the whole project gets totally side, sidebarred because... He hires a Russian guy to help him with his doping. And in the middle of the process, the Russian doping scandal explodes and this guy's involved. So all of a sudden he's working with the coach that's involved in this huge Olympic scandal and he's filming a documentary. So the documentary, the documentary goes off on a side thing that just gets crazy and you just have to watch it to see what happens because it, it's. I just sat through the whole time. I was like, "Oh my god, this is insane that this is happening on camera while they're filming this." It's really interesting. So right. you got to check out Icarus. What what drugs was Lance Armstrong even caught using? Because I mean, as a cyclist, he probably would be using things like EPO and like SARMs. I don't think he. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it's funny that the doping protocol is interesting. It's like very low doses of testosterone, like. I think he's taking like 50 milligrams every second day or something. They'd have to watch the movie again. Cause they, they actually just show the whole cycle. They show everything. That, that for him though, is probably just like TRT. Cause it's probably his body's so fried from overtraining. It, so. Yeah. It's, it's not, but you know, it's funny. You just see small doses of a couple different things. And then the EPO, um, it, the, the doses from a bodybuilding point of view are completely just insignificant. Like not even, you know, nothing that you would ever see weird so ron one question i have for you is that you've worked with a lot of big name coaches you know i know you've worked with this keto i think you've also worked with scott abel um chad nichols chad nichols is that correct yep yeah i've yeah those are my three coaches that i've worked with you know as a as a competitor over all the nationals i did who is your favorite of those three well uh, chris and i have a we have a, a pretty unique relationship he's he's a really good guy i would say he's a, a very close friend of mine chris Cicito, for those of you who who uh, don't know what chris we're talking about but but yeah um there's just something about working with chris he, he he's just he's different man he's unique um it's all it's like he's doing the whole thing in his head it's like he's kind of this diet savant with this weird you know almost uh almost metaphysical way to read your body. Like it's a, it's funny, you know, we, 
I call him like a philosopher and, uh, he's, he's a, he's a true, he's a true, uh, a true Yoda, you know? Um, but, uh, Chad Nichols was an awesome experience. Chad's a really cool guy. Um, I, I loved working with him. Um, he got me the biggest I ever got off season. I was 330 pounds the year I worked with Chad and, uh, strong as fuck biggest I ever got. Um, and then Scott Abel was in my earlier years and I can say Scott Abel, uh, you know, I worked with him from 2003 to 2008. Uh, Scott was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. I was doing stuff working with Scott Abel that everyone thought was insane. And now everyone's doing it, you know, like sprints on the bike, you know, to get lean sprint cardio. Everyone thought it was insane. I was doing it back then. Um, you know, crazy, huge, calorie spikes, massive carb days, all this stuff we were playing with, um, really low calorie stretches with super high calorie refeeds. Like everyone thought my diet was, they thought we were crazy and now everyone's doing all that stuff. And, um, so I've, I've had some good coaches. I learned a lot from them, but Chris Aceto, man, he's, he's the, he's the guy, you know, I worked with him from 2010 until 2015. We did eight shows together. And, uh, you know, I still talk to him all the time. He's been sending me top secret picks from uh, the Olympia. So I've seen how some of his guys look that, you know, pictures he, he hasn't posted and won't post. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, Chris is a good guy. Yeah. We've had, we've had Scott and Chris on the show and I'm working on Chad Nichols. Cool. Cool. When did you have uh, when did you have Chris on? Had him on, uh, about two months ago. Cool. Off was here, he off here? He spoke extremely highly of you. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, it's good to know. He should. I sent him a lot of clients. <laughs> well, he said, oh, you're, you're from Canada. You must know, you must know Partlow. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know Ron Partlow. And then, uh, he talked, talked about you for a couple minutes. Oh, well, I've, I've sent him a lot of people. You see a lot of the guys you see him working with, like they've at, came and asked me, they're like, so how's Chris? And I'm like, fuck, call him. And you know, but, um, Chris, then you got to call Chris and tell him that you got someone they're going to, it's going to call him or he won't answer the phone because he won't recognize the number. Right. So you got to, he's pretty, he's pretty funny. You got to let him know someone's calling. <laughs> he, he was hard to book on this show. That's for sure. He's, yeah. I got I got to think Chad, I'm, I'm guessing there was no uh, TRT dosages with Chad. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chad's uh Chad's kind of a, an are you in or are you out type of a guy? So that was an interesting experience. One thing I would really respect about Chad, and I'm also, uh, Milos said he's going to come on the show after, after the Olympia is Milos and Chad, those are the two gurus before being a guru is cool. Yeah. They were the kind of, they were two of the original guys that, you know, kind of were going hotel room to hotel room and like, doing all this mysterious stuff. Like, you know, all those legendary stories people would tell to be like, Oh, you know, so-and-so looked okay. And then I saw Chad Nichols go in his room and then Chad came out two hours later and the guy looked awesome, you know, and it, it, you know, the stories get exaggerated over the years and everyone thought Chad had some secret drug and everyone was like, I remember there was all these crazy stories like, Oh, Chad goes in there and puts them on IVs and all this nonsense. And, you know, so I had like empty, like cherry pie filling cans and just like put them in the recycling just to like screw up people's head. And they're like, Oh, I checked out the room and there was like five empty cherry pie filling. That, that must be the secret. There's probably a dozen stories of Chad like that. 
you know, just, uh, people thought there was this, you know, people thought there was some reason, you know, what's he doing to Ronnie? What's he doing to Ronnie? You know, it was just, it was just so funny. Whereas, you know, I talked to Chad about Ronnie and, and, and Chad said that, that the big difference maker with Ronnie was Chad just stopped him from making some mistakes. You know, when Chad started working with him, I mean, Ronnie was just making some mistakes and he was still, you know, top 10 at the Olympia and he was making a bunch of mistakes. So Chad just like helped him and he, you know, fucking grew and exploded and became Mr. Olympia. And, um, so yeah, he'll have a lot of stories. If you get Chad on, he'll have a ton of stories about Ronnie. So speaking of Olympia coming up, who do you got for second place? Cause that seems to be the big debate. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think it's going to be the same as last year to be awesome or to be honest. I think it's going to be Phil in first, Rami in second, Bonac right up there with, and I think Roden's going to come back into the top four or five, um, and maybe cause some big trouble. I don't know. I saw a picture of Roden the other day and he just looked fucking huge and ripped, but I mean, you know, he's supposed to look huge and ripped. So we'll see how they look on stage. But, um, you know, I think Roden at his very best could be top two, but, uh, I think it's probably just going to repeat last year. The Olympia is not known for like a lot of huge surprises. You know? It's been pretty predictable for a long time. And I don't see it being much different this year. What, what do you think about the Canadian ringer, Ian Valier? We just had him on the show a couple episodes ago. He's 25. Yeah, I, I mean, I handed Ian his uh, overall trophy at the Ontarios when he won that show. So I've known Ian since he was a kid. And, um, I remember when he won the Ontario's, he was only like 21 or 20. And, uh, I walked on stage, I gave him his trophy and I just said, I had a little chat with him on stage while, you know, I was giving him his trophy. I was like, dude, I've, you're fucking, you've got everything it takes. And it was no surprise when he got his pro card, like immediately after that. And then, you know, he was just at West coast iron training because he did the band pro. So he was out here. So he came out like, you know, a few days before and he pumped some workouts at the gym. So I saw him in the gym and uh, you know, it's funny. He's like, you know, three days out, two days out, one day out and he's still coming in and just training normal, totally normal, fucking big dumbbells, you know, training fucking hard. And I'm like, Oh, you don't change your training at all. Eh? And he's like, no, why should I it look like this? You know, it's funny. He's like, no need to change it. He's like this way, you know, and he, he looked like he, had all the energy in the world. He's cracking jokes with me and like hanging out at the gym. He wasn't like dragging his ass in and stuff. I, it was actually like, it was amazing that he even had a show. That's how he seemed. He seemed completely normal and just huge and ripped. And then he took his shirt off and trained in a tank top and everyone in the gym was just like, you know, that was a, you know, he'd be the craziest thing anyone's ever seen in that gym for sure is that his wife, Melissa Bumstead, is prepping for the Olympia too. And then his brother-in-law, Chris Bumstead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you a great... in Christmas at that family? They probably all like get each other like closing trunks and pre-workout. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a funny, it's a funny group. Like it's, there's just, uh, it's, it's good to see cause they're all really good people. Like Melissa is awesome. Uh, Chris Bumstead is awesome. And Ian is awesome. Like they're just, it's not like there's only one nice person in the crew. They're just like the three best people. And, um, they're, they're just so normal and cool to everyone. And they were so nice to all the members. And 
you know, it's like when the girls would go up and ask Melissa for a picture, it's like Melissa was still surprised that someone wanted their picture. You know, you could tell she was like, Oh, oh okay. You know, this is like, they're super humble. You know, Bumstead was rolling in you know, he wasn't competing at the van pro. Right. So he was just there to, you know, be there. And he was just like rolling in in the middle of the afternoon and like training arms and just kind of hanging out at the table by himself, eating his food. I'd go over and sit and chat with them. People would walk in and go like, is that Bumstead? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, just sitting there by himself. I'm like, yeah, just on his phone. You know, like it's fucking funny. They're just totally normal, but uh, it's, it's comical that they're, you know, kind of three of the most famous people in bodybuilding right now, you know? Well, well the crazy thing is, when I had Melissa on the show, I asked who her coach was because I was assuming she was probably working you know, with like a Matt Jansen or a Chris Aceto or a Hanny or something like that. She's like, oh, Ian does my diet. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ian is prepping you? She's like, yeah, Ian preps me and Chris. Yeah. Like, so not only is this guy a top Mr. Olympia competitor, he's also a top prep coach, I guess, too. <laughs> Yeah. And they're, and they're, you know, they're family. So, you know, it's not like, I mean, they're around each other constantly, you know, I think they get rooms all lined up, you know, like side by side rooms at the O and stuff like they're, they're just a, a, a family, you know, they're all always together. Talk to us a little bit about your personal training business. I know this is something you said that you're slowly starting to start up again. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've been helping people since the nineties. I mean, I started helping some people in the late nineties and, you know, they did the big life changing transformations and learn how to eat and, um, you know, that sort of stuff. And I helped a guy for a bodybuilding show and he went from third at provincials to second at nationals in like three months, you know, I hopped in and helped him between shows and he did this huge pull where he, you know, barely qualified for nationals and then wound up being top two because he was, he was in such good shape. And then people just started calling me after that. And guys at my gym would ask me to help. And, you know, I, I, I just had a, a really good role early on. You know, I had like my first three or four people won their shows and I was like, Oh shit, I'm kind of good at this maybe. So I started like, you know, taking clients and uh, this kind of grew and grew. And then, you know, by 2000, uh, 2006, I had, you know, 50 people a year doing shows, you know, and, and that was, that was before online training really came along. So when I say I had 50 people doing shows, I mean, I had 50 people that I would actually meet and see in person, you know, like some of them would email me photos, but then, you know, every, every week or so they'd drive to the gym and I'd have a look at them. Like they were local people. You know, I think I only had a couple long distance clients back then. And um, so, you know, I'd go to a, sh- I'd go to a show and I'd have, 15 people in the one show, you know? So it was that, that type of training. And, um, I did that for years. And then, uh, when I moved out here to work with mutant, I, I cut way down on the clients just because, you know, mutants a full-time job. Right. So I cut way down on the clients and I wanted to really focus on mutant and, uh, you know, and now my schedule is good. My job's doing really well. And I've, I got the, we got the gym now. So I thought, you know, I, I'm in a good spot to, uh, open back up. You know, I've really only had 10 to 15 people for the last few years. Um, but I'm, I want to, you know, kind of go back, get more of a full roster and, uh, and, and work with more people, you know, online training is, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different animal than, you know, seeing 50 people in person, you know, all the time. So yeah, I just want to get back into it. 
when I work with you, Ron, I'll, I'll say something. I'll let Steve jump in here. The biggest difference between you versus other coaches is I felt like you genuinely cared. And the difference when I was prepping with you was, it was almost like I didn't want to disappoint you. It was almost like you were kind of like a cool older brother to me. And oh. every email you sent me, like it just felt very genuine. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like I was client number 61. It felt like, Hey, I want to help Trev, you know, and you were, you were, like, you were hard on it. Like there was times where I was like, Hey, like I'm thinking about taking a deload week. And you're like, no, keep the foot on the gas pedal. Like, like you were very, very hard, but it really felt like you genuinely wanted to help. I've never gone that from a coach before. And that's something I try to do with my clients is really remember, you know, like the little things, like if they say in an email, like I'm graduating, you know, this weekend or, or whatever, like to remember that and ask them, you know, like, Hey, how'd your graduation go? Or I right. remember daughter's third birthday, you know, like go have, you'll, you'll say like, I want you to time your cheat meal so you can go to daughter for ice cream or, or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I get what you mean, man. I, I, well, I appreciate you saying that first of all. Um, but you know, that's, uh, I, I don't really, um, know how to do things, you know, any other way. So I, you know, I, I get really involved in the things I do, which is, I guess why I've never been able to handle like, you know, 200 clients. So that would just be, <laughs> that would just be impossible for someone with, with, with my, uh, personality, I guess. But, um, yeah, you know, I, it, I, I know what the emotional investment is to do this. Um, you know, not everyone's going to win a show, but everyone has the ability to look so good that they blow their own minds. And that's my goal with every client. You know, I, I don't care how good they are. I don't care if they're ever going to bring hardware home, but you know, you have to expect to blow your own expect expectations out of the water. And so I know how it feels to do that. Cause I've stepped on stage several times where I, where I thought like, fuck, we nailed this show, like really happy. And then I've stepped on stage where I felt like, man, you know, I looked better yesterday or I looked better a few days ago or whatever. And, and I know what the emotional investment is and I know how it feels. So I just want everyone to, you know, my goal is everyone walks on stage thinking, fuck, this is the best I've looked the whole diet, you know, and hopefully also they think this is the best I ever looked, you know? And then if you do those things, you know, you know, someone's going to come last, someone's going to come fifth. There's nothing you can do about that, but you just try to try to make sure that, that they, you know, they got what they had to get out of it. Where can people reach you, Ron? What's the easiest way they can get in touch with you for coaching? Is it through um, Instagram or do you have an email? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get a lot of people reach out on Instagram, but it's always, you know, that, uh, that second page where it's like the people you're not following yet. <laughs> and, and you'll, you'll look and go, oh, shit, I missed a message or something. So yes, I do get those cause I check them. But if you, uh, if, so if you want to get a hold of me, you can do, you know, rep 300 at Instagram, the, the Instagram one rep 300, uh, that's me. Or you can email me at big Ron Partlow at hotmail.com. So, um, you know, the big Ron Partlow at hotmail is where, you know, most people send me their photos and all that stuff. I'll, I'll have it in the show notes for our listeners so you can just copy and paste that. Oh, cool. Cool. Thanks. Do you want to drop a couple more F-bombs towards Best Buy before I close up the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I got my headset work and now I just have to kind of like play around with the USB cord. So it's, uh, some, it, 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 my, something with the drivers or some shit. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, piece of junk. You know, that's what you get. It's like a $25 headset. So it's a piece of junk. So fuck Best Buy. 
For sure. Their customer service sucks anyway. So. I, ne- Sorry, I, ne- guys. I never go there. I never go there. <laughs> we don't have anyone else to go. They put everyone else out of business. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, the that's a, yeah, I know. They drove Ron. everyone, all the good companies out. Ron, do you have any closing thank yous or anything like that you want to make? Um, yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show, Trev. Um, it was, uh, I'm glad Devin, uh, our, our mutual friend, Devin contacted me. He goes, Hey, I think Trevor tried to get a hold of you on Instagram or something. And I was like, Oh shit, I gotta, you know, I miss messages on there sometimes. And, you know, you don't get back to everybody. And then I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I want to do his podcast. So, so thanks for having me on, man. And, um, you know, I just uh, shout out to, you know, I mutant and West coast iron. That's kind of my life. And also, uh, remind everyone, you know, I, I am. You know, I, I work with Gasp and, uh, and I really love that company. Uh, I just got a bunch of clothes to wear to the Olympia, so I'm happy. But uh, yeah, come see me at the uh, Olympia Expo. I'm not sure. Is this going to air before the Olympia? Yeah, I'll have this edited tomorrow. So this will be Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So come see me at the Mutant booth. I'll be there Friday, Saturday. It'll be uh, great to see everybody. You know, say hi. And if, you, if you're coming down and, because of this podcast, let me know. Who, who else do you have at the Mutant booth? Probably Johnny Jackson. Dusty Johnny Hanshaw. Jackson, Dusty Hanshaw, Manuel Romero, and Lola Montez. Um, the new figure pro that won the Arnold this year. So, Ron, two things to close up the show. Most of our listener questions I managed to cover. I got about five DMs from people asking to start up your podcast again. So, Yes. Okay, that's, a, that's a definitely something I want to do. I know I've been saying that for about a year now. Um, and... I'm currently talking to uh, Scott McNally from Advices Radio, just because he might do all the back end for me and take care of it. Um, I'm just not sure exactly what I want to do. Um, I like your your uh, Zoom that you use for this; it's, it works really well. So uh, maybe I'll do something like this. But yeah, you know, uh, podcasting is something I like to do. I like having people on. So we'll see how it goes. Well, off air, I'll give you my number and I'll help you with Zoom and all that sort of stuff. You need help with the back end. Thanks, man. Second, frick, what was the second thing I was going to say? The first thing was the was that. Um, can't even remember. Oh, I'm going to be in Vancouver in February for the CHFA, so I will make sure to check oh. Forest Iron. You will get a workout in. Definitely send me a message so I, I can be there when you're there. So for all of our listeners, put this in your calendar. In February, I'm going to Instagram Live a workout at Ron's Gym. Sounds good. All right, Ron, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Guys, this episode is a really special opportunity for me because this is my first bodybuilding coach. Um, This is the guy that I'll get on on stage for the first time. And if anybody is curious and wants photos, send me an email or an Instagram DM or something like that. I'll send you photos. I mean, I was 18, so I didn't have that much muscle. I think I was uh, about 185 on stage for six tall. But I mean, I was... You know, you got lean. Absolutely shredded. (laughs) there was not hard. an ounce of fat on my body. No, you worked hard, man. So, so yeah, that was, that was a good show. We'll do it again sometime. You Here bet. Trevor Kuritzen for my co-host, Steve Smee. And for our special Thanks, Steve. IFBB Pro, Ron Parlow. This has been another episode of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life. Look good doing it. Thanks for listening.